0: I knew, I knew it would be a long one, that one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'll see if this one goes a little bit uh, shorter. I don't know. But anyway, welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast presented by the Prince Charles Cinema. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I'm here today not with my adopted stepson or my daughter or anybody like that, but uh, I do have someone here. It is uh, a very special, lovely, fabulous
0: Ralph Bogart. Hello. <laughs> so I think I'm as hairy as Phil and <laughs> as cute as Ari. What would you say? Yeah, that works. So maybe I'm a combination. Maybe I'm yeah. their love child replacement. Yeah, with your,
1: with your beard going on right now, that's a very Phil beard. And then you have the light <laughs> and the brightness in your face and your eyes and everything right now. Uh, yeah, Ari. So yeah, you're good. You're Excellent. Uh, We're making this weird homogenized family,
0: I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Ralph, how are you doing,
1: man? How's
0: it going? I am doing all right, considering the last few months. I am actually doing all right, and I'm very happy to be here talking Mm -hmm. to you, Jonathan. It's lovely to hear your voice.
1: Yeah, it's good to hear yours as well. Uh, I did actually see you very briefly a couple of nights ago. You're hosting a little party on an virtual island yes (laughs) He contacted me in the middle of the day and then i jumped on and that was very fun yeah Uh, but it's nice to properly get to chat to you and we can properly you know catch up plus yes uh talk about a film so yes yeah last year marked the 50th anniversary of the stonewall riots and those riots were the watershed moment for basically the whole gay rights and pride movement around the world. This year is actually the 50th anniversary of the very first Pride. Unfortunately, everyone's locked down and ah. not really able to go out and celebrate properly. But we're going to be able to do that here on the podcast, at least. Our own Pride episode.
0: Woo-woo! I've got my Pride filter on, so... <laughs> yeah,
1: you look good. And it's in honor of Pride Month that we have here. An actor, a host, a singer, a longtime PCC events coordinator, and the founder of Unicorn Nights, it's the Prince Charles Cinema's in-house LGBTQ plus film strand. So Ralph Bogard, you're here. You're a guest <laughs> back on episode eight, which funny enough, we featured a bit in last week's episode when we were talking about Do the Right Thing, because that was tied in with your episode. So we're a yeah, year right. later. It's one year later and you're back. Oh, and yeah. we talked about, but I'm a cheerleader. So oh,
0: I love that. go check so out much. that. Go back. Baba Cheerleader is having a bit of a resurgence as well lately. So it's very interesting how yeah. uh, the films we choose on Unicorn Nights tend to have a second life not long afterwards. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm onto yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe
1: the podcast is onto something. Hell <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, but, Ralph, what have you been up to during lockdown?
0: Um, Right. Well, there's been lots going on, lots mm-hmm. going on. Uh, I have um, been doing some performances on Zoom, which I've become very adept at. Yeah. Um, I actually have uh, a monologue coming out with uh, Mind the Gap Theatre Company in New York that's coming out on Thursday in uh, sort of celebration of pride or acknowledgement of pride as well. And
2: mm-hmm. um, that's
0: a, a, a theatre company in New York that does things that sort of crosses the Atlantic, in their way. And I've worked with Paula De S- De Andres. Uh, I knew her when I lived in New York and um, she asked me to do this monologue, which I'm doing uh, on Thursday. It's coming out. So check that out online. And I've been doing other shows. Uh, there's an album coming out that I recorded in lockdown of a new Ooh. musical called Fallen, oh.
1: which is about
0: Robert Hooke, the uh, scientist who was erased from history uh speaking of erasure this quite interesting themes that are gonna we're gonna yeah. be talking about today but um obviously very different nothing particularly uh, queer about that project but that's been a whole lockdown project so that's a musical concept album coming out in a in a while um what else have i been doing uh, performances with you i had you come on to my fabulous all-star chat show this week as part of an online huge music and party festival mm-hmm. um and that was really good fun and I've also just launched a really interesting thing called Drag Me, drag Outta, me Outta, Outta Here. here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I did want to ask you about Drag Me Outta Here. Uh, you were chatting to me a little bit the other day as we were preparing to get into doing this episode, and you sent me a little link to it, and it sounds absolutely amazing. So go ahead and plug away.
0: Okay. Well, Drag Me Outta Here is an online drag race-inspired slash parody escape room that you can do. So it's like living your drag race fantasies and actually living through the experience of being on a drag TV show, but you can do it with all your friends, wherever they are in the world. Uh, and there's a live host and you have mini challenges and maxi challenges and various other interactive challenges that you need to accomplish to then crown yourself as the next drag somebody. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> you um, it's a great way to have fun with your friends. I mean, zoom is great and it's really saved a lot of our minds through this pa- pandemic when we haven't been able to see our loved ones, but this is a great way to actually amp that up a little bit and have some fun, you know, so it's not just a chat. It's great. Uh, you can do it with big parties. We've got multiple hosts and you can just enjoy yourselves. And so we're open now for bookings. So check out www.dragmeouterhere.com. That's O U T T A. And uh, we're on all the social medias at uh, Drag At Here. So yeah, <laughs> find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and go onto our website and there's promo codes. I tell you what, I'll sort out a promo code for anyone watching the PCC Cinecast. So if we say unicorns, then I'll give you a special discount on your booking for dragmeouthere.com.
1: Nice. You heard that here first. It's the first promotional thing I've got to do and it was on a whim so yeah (laughs) use unicorns at com,
0: and yeah
1: you're gonna get a discount you can have fun
0: so that's what's going on so come and check it out
1: Ralph is here to brighten up your lockdown just like he's gonna brighten up the podcast today Woo woo! before we get into the meat and potatoes as we always say on the podcast (laughs) the bulk of the episode uh, I will say that a little update on the Prince Charles Cinema. We'll, we'll go ahead and get into that. I mean, again, we're kind of in the same boat we were last week. Uh, we've been waiting around for the government to finally announce whether or not cinemas can reopen and stuff. And then we can finally start to put out in place what our plans are. We're trying to figure out what's going on. So bear with us uh, as we... <laughs> As much like everyone in the cinema and film industry is trying to figure out what in the world's going on in this new world that we live in. Uh, so bear with us. We will be getting out some information about that. We did have a survey going around last week. Uh, if you check our social media out, you can do us a big hand by like just going on there and letting us know your comfortability with coming back to the cinema and what kind of measures you would like to see us put into place. Um, Yeah, so if you can do that, that's great. We'll hopefully try to have a really concrete answer of what we're planning to do as a cinema and moving out of this lockdown and opening back up as a business. Um, But yeah, that's about it. Ralph, how are you feeling about that?
0: I miss it. I miss it. I miss (laughs) the kids, Charles. Yeah, me too. And I miss all the lovely people that we see there um at the events the sing-alongs the quote-alongs unicorn nights and just generally when i'm just there hanging out chatting to (laughs) chatting to you guys for hours (laughs) on end um it's 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 i'm sure everyone that's listening is desperately waiting for to be able to return Mm -hmm. and support this amazing venue so yeah Yeah.
1: well until you get Back to the cinema. If you want to support us, obviously, you can always head over to Prince Charles and you can buy yourself a membership or a gift membership for a friend. If it's an annual membership, we're extending all annual memberships until whenever we re- reopen. That's when they'll start if you buy it now. Uh, so, whoever it's for, for yourself or for a friend, it's going to last for an entire year. Um, if you have a membership already, That's going to get extended. So if you had six months left on your membership, you're going to get that six months, even though you're locked down for six months. It seems, (laughs) But yeah, anyway, we're trying to do well by you. And also you could buy a gift voucher. Uh, You can use that to buy tickets in the future or you can use it for drinks and snacks. We got great beers at the bar when we finally reopen. You'll be able to buy things like that. Even though there will be a queue because, come on, social distancing and, uh,
0: you know, we got we to gotta live We're this Brits. normal. we Brits. We're used to queuing. It's fine. <laughs> we just have to just expand w- it a little I longer. worry
1: about Londoners with queues, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Ralph, let's just get
1: into the meat and potatoes. Yes! What film did you want to talk about today? I
0: wanted... To talk about this film for so long. You, you I mean, you know, because I literally talk about it all the time.
1: Absolutely.
0: I've been wanting to talk about this film for ages, especially now because it's Pride Month and it's coming up to Pride, um, you know, in what would have been our Pride celebration this week. It's mm-hmm. Stonewall, not the 2015 version, mm-hmm. but the Arena Stonewall that was released in 1995/6, directed by Nigel Finch. And written by Ricky Beadle Blair. So, which are you, he or she? You know it ain't hip to call a DQ Does he kiss? But you ain't never been loved like this before, baby. I don't do love.
1: If it ain't Holly, go friggin'
2: lightning.
0: Me, I'm living in the other state between maleness
2: and femaleness. Which is? Fabulousness.
1: Kissy, kissy.
2: Brenda, girl, why do you always put yourself through this? It's for the sheer irresistible goddamn glamour of it all.
1: There had been race riots, there had been anti-war riots, and
0: now it was time for the gay riot. Hurt
1: nobody, right? it ain't hurt nobody
0: right if we bleed we do not win y'all dig well maybe it's their turn to bleed
2: had no hero before
0: that's the yeah. film i want to talk about that many of you probably don't even know exists yeah so we're gonna do our best
1: to help you maybe not you know know what's going on what we're talking about but you know we're gonna try to help you through and also create a sense of importance for this film and the whole movement of Stonewall, but Mm -hmm. let's get into it. The year is 1969, where homosexuality is illegal, and the act of cross-dressing could get you arrested. We follow the story of Maddie Dean, a young gay man who arrives in Greenwich Village of New York City and falls in with cross-dresser La Miranda and her friends, who attend the infamous Stonewall Inn. As La Miranda and Maddie Dean start to fall for each other, their lives, and the lives of the other homosexual patrons, proprietors, and activists at the Stonewall and around New York are all intertwined as police barge in on the Stonewall to make arrests, sparking off the riots that would empower the LGBTQ plus rights movement as we know today. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: Rainbow by power. <laughs> so as Ralph said, it's the 1995 British-American docudrama written by Ricky Beatle Blair, who... Oh, you'll hear in a bit. And directed by Nigel Finch, the late Nigel Finch. Unfortunately, Nigel Finch, uh, this will be his first and last feature film. Nigel Finch had a big career doing a lot of stuff for TV. Uh, He was executive producer on Paris is Burning in 1991. He's had a really nice career. But unfortunately, this was like the first Film, like actual film, film for cinema and stuff that he would have been doing, and then it ended up being his last film because he sadly had a battle with AIDS and lost his life. So he died in post-production of this film, mm. but like we at least have this film we can watch, and we're gonna do our best to pay tribute to, you know, just such a great film.
0: It really, it really is an amazing film, and it's it, it mm. baffles me that it it, it didn't have. Or doesn't have the kind of accessibility to see it as, as it should, especially considering the um, unfortunate result of the recent sort of, shall I call it a remake, or I don't know what to call it, um, the recent Hollywood version mm-hmm. of of the Stonewall back in 2015, which is five years ago now. Still, yeah. it's just this film really was. It really when you I mean you watched it recently, obviously, yeah. John, and I mm-hmm. feel like the the kind of current nature of it the 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 messages it's it's spreading within the film are so current so so visceral for now because those stories are still not being told
1: yeah definitely
0: and and it baffles me that this is from 1990, that this how many so 20 25 25 years ago yeah. this film was made and it and it still i I, I watch it and I'm like Why have I not seen this story properly? You know, we've seen the documentaries about Martha B. Johnson and, you know, you hear about how the erasure of uh, Black and Latin trans uh, people were erased from the story of the the Stonewall riots. And even the fact that, you know, the Compton Cafe in San Francisco, that was a riot that happened before Stonewall and also the Black Cat riots in LA, Mm -hmm. in Silver Lake. You know, these these are, are events that happened before, but st- obviously, as you said, Stonewall was a watershed moment, but the people that really made that happen were erased from history for a long time within the LGBTQ community in history. And yeah. now they're starting to, their stories are starting to come to the fore, but you know, this was a film that was made before and, and, and it was still, even though it was made, it never, it never really got embraced. And um, even to this day that we can't, it's really hard to see this, to find, to, a way to see this film. It yeah. was recently screened at the BFI and at the Barbican, which mm-hmm. is great, which I mean which to me feels like there's that the story is starting to re it's people are starting to realize the story needs to be told and yeah. to be seen. Yeah.
1: yeah, like Ralph said, it's like pretty unrecognized this film over the years. Uh it does have a bit of a cult status, but mm-hmm. even on that sort of grounds it's weaker than your normal like cult film because like it's certainly just something that a lot of people just don't know about or haven't seen. Uh it was A BBC Films production, so it's that's where the British side comes into it. Um, But you know, it was distributed by Tartan Pictures here in the UK, and they released the film on VHS,
0: Mm -hmm. which is where I first saw it.
1: Yeah, and there was only like one or two DVD releases, and those weren't even in widescreen. So it's like almost impossible. Well, it wasn't made. I don't think it was made in widescreen. Uh, I think it was one eight five. I looked on yeah on IMDb. It says it's one eight five. Um, so the version I saw was like pan and skin. So because it was,
0: I always, I always wasn't sure be- I, because it was a part of the arena series on BBC, yeah. um, which is why Nigel Finch was the executive producer of mm-hmm. that. And it was a series of brilliant documentaries, um, you know, dealt with Robert Mapplethorpe with lots of different, loads of different things. And, um, I, I always just assumed it was one, of, I always it always confused me when I saw the arena logo come up. I was like, "But that's a TV show." Yeah. But then there was this amazing art film, and and this this film that that was part of that. So I reckon it really was something that I guess Nigel really, really wanted to make happen, and maybe thought could sort of parlay into to main sh- into a cinema environment, which mm-hmm. I think it does.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Alright, so well speaking of cinema, I mean it's something you, you run Unicorn Nights at the Prince Charles Cinema and you've tried to get this film in and I know you've talked to Paul about it in the past and Paul's shout out Paul. Yay he, uh, Paul. He reached out to uh Tartan, he said and about screening the film, but the film rights elapsed and he said that you've basically been working on it, trying to figure out what you can do. Obviously it's screened at the BFI and stuff, but they obviously have a different they're they, they run differently than yeah. the Prince Charles Cinema does and they can get access to television products and, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a bit different.
0: It's, yeah, I've been trying to find out how to screen this for five years. Right. Uh, <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> so it's, 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 you know, and I, obviously I, I, I reached out to Ricky who we've got later on coming on the show mm-hmm. um, to talk about it. But, uh, and also I've reached, I reached out to, to, l- the, you know, try to reach out to the people at the BBC and to other, uh, executive producers and stuff but it's just one of those really tricky types. And I'm sure fans of the, of the cinecast will know that you've spoken about films that we just have just been lost in the, in the kind of void of cinematic licensing vortex. I don't know yeah. where it just gets lost somewhere and companies get bought out and they, and then yeah. the, the the kind of trail of what, who actually has the rights to these films yeah. is, dis, is disappeared. And yeah, definitely. And I know that we, I know that speaking of funny enough, talking about the film that we did talk about last year, which was But I'm a Cheerleader, Paul, a big shout out again to Paul yeah, for finding yeah. out how we could screen that. Because that took a, a number of years as well, took over three years of his digging and finding out how to screen that film. And then finally it was screened and then has had since screenings around the country um, because someone, you know, Paul did such great legwork in trying to find out who, could license the film to be screened and we got to do it. We got to do a, a screening of it. One of the first in the UK after many, many, many years. And I'm really proud of, of, of being able to do that and really want fighting to see that film. Cause that's one of the things about the Prince Charles that's so amazing is that it, it does give a platform to films that have sort of been overlooked. Um, and for not, I wouldn't say forgotten about, but hold a special place in people's hearts in in a, in a way that, you know, our fans love cult films and that's what makes The Prince Charles amazing.
1: Absolutely.
0: I started off Unicorn Nights with a film that was sort of overlooked and that was Get Real. That Mm -hmm. was the first film we screened at The Prince Charles and that, you know, sold out and it was amazing. We had a great Q&A with the cast and creative team of writers, directors. And that was one of the films that also was overlooked. At the time, we just had the bombing at the Admiral Duncan and people were scared to go out and see a gay themed film. They thought they would be targets. Yeah. You know, and it just after beautiful thing, which sort of really had an impact, but this didn't have the same impact, even though it's such an amazing film. And that's why I love it. I love championing those films. And that's why this film is, is, is one I've love. I would love to show. I would love to screen it. And if anyone out there is listening and can find a way for us to screen this film, let us know (laughs) because we will. But since we can't screen anything because of what we're, the situation we're in, we're going to talk about it.
1: Yeah absolutely yeah and in terms of that i mean we can't screen it at the moment and even so we've been talking about how this film just is really underrecognized, and it's even to a point where it's actually just really not a lot in terms of materials to look up like when mm-hmm. i'm crafting an episode when i'm trying to do <laughs> research you know i've learned more about stonewall itself and based like you know the movement and all that around watching this film and just You know, just those little things, but it's not as simple as browsing IMDb or Wikipedia or various different blog posts or whatever for information. So luckily our pal Ralph here, he has a connection to the writer of the film, Ricky Beetle Blair. We've said his name a couple of times, and earlier we were able to have a chat with him to learn more about his film, and you can hear that now, and we'll be back after. So come back. All right. This is Jonathan here. I'm with Ralph. You heard him a few seconds ago. We were talking on the podcast before, even though we haven't recorded that yet. And I'm going to leave this in because that's the magic of editing and I don't care anymore. But we're sitting here (laughs) with uh, the writer of the film that we were talking about. And we're going to get a little bit more information. And that is Ricky Beetle Blair. Hey, Ricky, thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, 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 what were you talking about? Were you talking about me? Was it positive? Yeah,
1: it was all positive.
2: Always, <laughs> always.
1: <laughs> Ralph said very lovely well,
2: things. <laughs> mm, mm, were you shady? <laughs>
0: me, honey, never.
2: Never, as <laughs> <laughs> Well,
1: Ricky's had a long career, but before I get into that a little bit, I just want to say, Ricky, you are a Southeast Londoner, right?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: That's me. Camberwell area. Are you still in Camberwell? Born in,
2: born in Camberwell. No, 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 no. Bermondsey. No. Bermondsey.
1: Okay, but still southeast. Yeah.
2: Grew, up, grew up in in Camberwell, Nunhead, and then Bermondsey, 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 Bermondsey.
1: I mean, to be honest, we're all southeast Londoners right now. Yeah, we over, are. Yeah, I'm over a sort of Deptford, New Cross, Broccoli
2: area just oh, because They're hard around there. Yeah. They're hard around
0: there. <laughs> 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 we're all around the corner. We're yeah. all around the corner from each other. Uh, <laughs> we could have just. Set
1: up in Bermondsey in park. park or something. <laughs> yeah,
2: I could I could have let you some sugar. <laughs> you want your flour so we can make some cakes. Yes. <laughs> well, I feel like
1: we're destined to have a good time for the next 20 or so, 25, 30 minutes. I don't know how long we'll go, but just because we're all Southeast Londoners, I feel I feel better, you know, because best part of London.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 we'll have a knees up, we'll have a knees up.
1: <laughs> well, Ricky, you've had a long career as a writer, a choreographer choreographer, a dancer, an actor, director of film and theatre. But before we get into Stonewall, the film that we are talking about today on the podcast, can you briefly tell us just a little bit more about your life in that career? Southeast London born? What else?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I was born in Camberwell and uh, the um, and uh, I grew up in Bermondsey. And that's where I really started writing. I well, I wanted to be a writer from the age of three. My mom's Jamaican, came over as as a girl. And then, um, not long while she was still a girl, she got pregnant with me. And, um, she, um, and and she taught me to read when I was three. So I decided, okay, I'm going to be a writer. Um, and and then when I was seven, I realized I was going to be a a, a dramatist and write plays or films when I realized they could be written. I was very excited (laughs) by that and having a connection with an audience in that way directly. And so, um, uh, and so that's what I've done ever since. And then when I was about 11, I started going to this free school. Um, free school now means a different thing, but then it was this hippie school where you could turn up when you wanted, go when you go home when you wanted. And there was this school started on Bermondsey Street where I was li- where I was live. And, um, and so, it's, um, so that school really freed me. Um, I could get, turn up when I wanted to make my own curriculum. so I decided to make films and theater all day long. That's what I did. i take films that I loved, like uh, Tommy and Bugsy Malone, all these different things and turn them into stage versions and also write my own scripts. And, and we would act them out at school and then the block, the stairwell in the estate that I grew up in. Nice. So that's, uh, I've just been doing that ever since, just finding new <laughs> groups of friends to write plays for. That's exactly what I've been doing. All ever since.
1: I think you made Ralph's face light up just by mentioning Bugsy Malone.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bugsy Malone.
0: We could have been anything that we wanted to be. Ah,
2: <laughs> oh, the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. We give a little love, and it all comes back to you. Preach. That's true. <laughs> You're going to be remembered for things the things you say, and, say and do. And do.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I always really? I was just identified with Tallulah, to be honest.
2: <laughs> oh, oh my god! I played Tallulah in one of my productions. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I was obsessed with Jodie Foster. Right, my big crush. Yeah, still got a big girl crush on Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, Ricky, how did you get involved with the film Stonewall? Okay, I've been slogging away doing my thing. Had a kind of little. I was known around on the kind of fringe theatre circuit, mm-hmm. which was very patchy at that time. Um, but you know, I was doing my thing and. Um, and uh, also working with my best friend Robert Shavara, who's a brilliant director, and um, I, you know I was playing Hamlet in his production, and so things like that. But you know, I, it was it was kind of like, can this go anywhere? And there was there really was so little diverse representation. Being gay was like a career killer. Being black was a non-starter. There was all this going on, and I, I, was, I felt kind of unstoppable. But it. it, it But at the same time, it's like, where do I go with this? So I decided to do a one person show. So I'd always done these family affairs, like writing things for my friends, which I still do and I love. But at that time, I thought, you know what, take a break and just do something on your own. So I wrote um, a one person uh, show called Beauregard Willie Lee. Um, And um, there was a kind of a, a special one off performance of it done by Payne's Plough, the company that Develops writers. They didn't really get very involved in the development, the writing, but they gave us a platform, um, which was lovely. And Robert directed it, and um, and that mentioned Stonewall. I, Rewind when I was seventeen, me and Robert and another friend, we were in a a cappella singing group, mm-hmm. and we would perform at gay rights events at like the Oval House, Gaze the Word. In that the first month that it was even open, I think we performed there. I think it was like their first month or their three month anniversary party. So we were doing this stuff. And, um, and one of the cabarets, this a person came on in drag and performed a monologue all about the Stonewall riots. And the crowd started booing and, and hissing because at the time, drag was considered by feminists as being um, misogynistic. And so there was a real open disavowal of... And, and, and this guy, whose name has gone out of my head embarrassingly, Robert will remember... This guy was amazing and he just kind of pulled the cloud down wow. in his track and he was just really standing up for, you need to remember us you know, and this is 77 78, or 78, 79. And I was like why are they booing this? Why are they booing? Then I found out about this, this Anti drag movement that was in, which is very similar to the anti trans mm-hmm. movement that we've got now. Yeah, and um, and so it was very very censorious. Though there were people supportive in the crowd too. But it was the room was split. And and I, what's the Stonewall? And um, Robert seemed to know a little bit more about it. But we literally <laughs> sat with this guy and asked him. His name Paul something. And he told us about Stonewall rights afterwards. And um, I became fascinated of course, and it's like it, we all do when we hear about it. And it wasn't that long after it, it right? Like t- We're talking yeah, years, just 10 10 years. years, 10, or 10, yeah. 10, 12 years. Yeah, so and I, I, I didn't know this was going on, but you know, I was, I was a kid, I was 17. So um, then when I did my one person show, I wanted to do this story of this boy growing up in the South in America and um, going to New York. And it just seemed natural that it would be 1969 and that he goes and he's like one of the first black drag queens to be in that kind of mainstream drag world that they've got there and gets involved in the Stonewall riots. Mm. And that's what I wrote and performed. And it was an amazing experience to do it. And it felt like I was paying tribute to them and to Paul who'd been this amazing warrior a few years earlier. I'm now about, when I'm doing this show, I'm probably like 27, 28. And so we performed on the show and Nigel Finch, the director of Stonewall, mm-hmm. Came to see the show because he was working on a TV opera. Robert was di- was was the opera director on, and Nigel was the director director of this of this opera op- TV operatic experiment. And um, and Nigel said to me, "Came to see the show," said, "Oh, do you know a lot about the Stonewall rights?" And I thought, "Well, I know what Paul told me," <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I just said, "Yeah, I know everything about Stonewall rights." <laughs> he went, "I'm doing this movie for for the BBC because he." Nigel was, as you probably know, was the, was the editor and kind of producer of Arena. Arena, which was an amazing art show that had been going for years and had covered everybody. And, and he's made this movie called The Lost Language of Cranes, which is a gay movie based on the book, um, starring the amazing Brian Cox. You know, he'd done this amazing work. So and I, he said, I'm looking for a writer for it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know everything about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, let's have a meeting... I think this would have been Friday or Saturday, so let's have a meeting on Monday. I went, great. And then he said, I'm basing it on this book called Stonewall by Martin Duberman, which is a a doc, you know, a a history book. I went, great. And I ran to gaze the words (laughs) (laughs) on the Monday, bought the book, read it that day. And then when I had the meeting that evening, I'd read the book. And I just immediately knew it was for me to write. I just knew it. It connected so many different things and, and moments for me. And um, it was something I was very passionate about. I kept thinking about everyone booing Paul on that stage and wanting to stand up for that. And, um, and then uh, looking into the book, of course, and just realising that it was really like the lowest people on the New York ladder who were in that barn, yeah. right? And, and I'm like, talk about my people. And I just <laughs> wanted, wanted to do it. And, but of course, at the time, with my kind of youthful, I can do this stuff, um, I was just like, okay, so there's got to be the trans characters that are the lead characters, and Nigel really didn't want to do that. Nigel wanted to was worried and wanted to do it from a point of view of a mafia boy who's a boy who's in the whose father whose uncle is in the mafia, and he goes to work at the Stonewall Bar and kind of be the mafia overseer of the bar, and then gets sucked into the world and maybe has a, 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 a maybe a, has some makes a friend of a drag queen kind of thing oh. uh, and and gets and sees it so we, he's a witness and I was just like we cannot give our story to the other people. this is our story oh. Nigel we can't give it to the witnesses we have to give it to the activists and then it was like okay well maybe it can be gay but it's this guy and I was like no we really have to make it from the point of view of the queens we have to do that but I can have this guy come into town and 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 go out with one of them. So I said they should be people... So you know, already the narrative was of drag queens and trans people were sexless. They were there to make over the, the lead characters or be sassy yeah. or assist them in their relationships or get them to pull themselves together. They were kind of, you know, benign Aunt Jemima people.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the... Just around that time, at like the same time the film came
2: out, we had what... Um,
0: to Wong, Wong Fu and yeah. Birdcage and you know that
2: exactly and, as- um, and and Queen and Priscilla Queen of the Desert yeah. they all came out. Yeah, Priscilla's right. slightly
0: different. I think there's some depth to those characters. But
2: they're still, there's you know, they're still pretty desexualized. With Priscilla, they go with the older, which is great. Yeah. The, the older drag queen uh, who's actually trans. trans yeah, right? the, the older trans, uh, the tra- older trans woman has a, a, a delicate romance. Yes. right. But you know they're not sexual That's, beings. I guess so. The they're, passion. There's no like. And she is she is gently wooed by this guy as opposed to having a, a, an agenda.
0: You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just sorry. I just just was really interested, but that you brought that up because I found it really interesting that in in the book that you really had uh, the the wit- I guess the witness character talking Matty Dean be sort of in this love triangle as well.
2: Yeah, I I, just, I decided to. You know, okay, we're going to have these. You know, clearly Nigel, who is not was not, you know, not particularly femme person. The um, it, he really wanted to be represented. He wanted, mm-hmm. though, he wanted straight acting gay guys to be in it, and um, and that was fine. I thought it. So when, the more I looked, the more there was such a big, wide. It was. It wasn't just the riot. It was all the work that those guys in the suits were doing. Absolutely, right? yeah. And um, it, it's a con. It's a. It's a. It's a confluence. So. Uh, Growing up, of course, you know, with my civil rights um, knowledge was, you know, you needed Malcolm and you needed Martin Luther King, right? You needed Malcolm and Martin Mm -hmm. to go through. You needed the more like burn it down kind of rhetoric and the kind of peace that, you know, go limp and be a a passive protester. Both things were both incredibly powerful and achieved so much. Um, And so I wanted to show as I always do, if anybody's seen my work, it's always like a big diaspora of, of 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 queerness. It's never just like one kind mm. that just that just bores me yeah and so because you because we I am a diaspora within myself so so I've, I've kind of constructed this story where a we open the movie with with you know lamoranda lead character looking directly into the camera saying, this is my version of this story of yeah. course me looking into the camera saying this is my version of the story <laughs> realizing that there was no there was no empirical story everyone had a different perspective yeah, yeah. Yeah. everyone saw saw it differently everyone thought a different person through the first rock everybody mm-hmm. you know everybody i was there i wasn't there you know it was really hard to get actual clear evidence
0: i really like sorry i really like that bit that uh, you know with cuz nigel did a lot of documentary work yeah. so I, yeah. that, that that those moments of this being a, a, a really a wonderful fictional movie, yeah, uh, based in fact, but or, or legacy or history, um, on or what's the word? Story.
2: I don't know. F- myth. Yeah. Well, Nigel had two great things he wanted. One was that um, I'd have to use some documentary footage, and I went, "Great, I can do this thing." Or let's have the contradictory footage, yeah. and then go, you know, there's as many stories as there are exactly. queens, and then just say, "This is our story. This is our perspective." Clearing the way for other people to tell this story in their other ways, which they have. But yeah. you know, I don't know if you've seen the latest Stonewall movie. Mm-hmm. That's, no. that's literally said a, <laughs> very, very interesting. It's literally a remake of our film. It's not just but another Stonewall movie. It's the
0: remake with but with all the wrong choices, in my opinion.
2: Well, now I that, that's very interesting because because I'm afraid we those those choices were being pressured to me all the time. I could imagine. I was, they were like, "Could well you heard right? They can you make it a straight guy who's the lead character? Mm-hmm. Can you make it a straight acting guy who's the lead character?" And I was like, "It can be a boyfriend of the leading mm-hmm. character. He can be a, 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 a equal lead. He can be the leading man if you like. But she's it's her story, yeah. and I want that said at the beginning and the end, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know, they're interested in the mafia." And there was a bit in the book that said, there was rumors that the mafia owner had an affair with a trans woman or a drag queen in the bar. I'm like, right, that's the whole storyline, mm-hmm. yes. which I did. Oh, I love that storyline. Yeah, I was
1: going to ask you about yeah. that. Did you add that in uh, the story with Vinny in Bostonia? Was that added in like before? Yeah,
2: because Nigel after? desperately wanted. it. You know, he loved He loved The Godfather and all those mm-hmm. movies. He wanted to get a bit of Scorsese in there and a, a Cop- Coppola in there. So I was like, okay, but again, she, it's about how she resonates with this, this guy who's so in love with her, but doesn't know how to, you know, he basically stood up for the whole closety thing, right? He was the, he, he was the, 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 the closety people who keep killing themselves and dying because of the, the repression of the society. So actually he became a perfect vehicle for that. And I was really thrilled to write that. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to use the Mattachine Society and their kind of repressed thing and p- poke fun of it. But ultimately, pay tribute to it. So that scene where they dance together, Bostonia and um, uh, uh, is it Ernie, the guy who's the uh, who runs? Vinny. You know, and uh, no, uh, it's the guy who runs the Massachusetts yeah. Society. Oh. He and he, they, when they do a, a kind of go from bar to bar, drinking, mm-hmm. trying to be refused action. Uh, he and Bostonia dance together, mm-hmm. and they both pay tribute to their years of it in the trenches, even though. Very different trenches, yeah. right? There's you yeah. know the sequin trenches and the the suited trenches.
1: No, it's a really sweet scene, though. I really like.
2: Yeah, I really, you know, I think they say, "I salute you," mm. and, and I salute you back. You know, so it was getting all of that in, but centering trans people or or, or drag queens. Or, as they're very different phrases at the time, and um, street queens, and the also um, of color.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That was a big thing. You know, again, there was like a lot of pressure on me to make it more white, but I'm not going to erase myself from my own screenplay. So, I mean, Miranda was actually meant to be black Puerto Rican.
0: I was going to mm. say because um, it's, it's, you said you you saw yourself as her, but um, obviously she's not a black character.
2: Um, no, but I can see myself. In yes, of course. No, no, far. no. I did
0: not I didn't mean that. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, I was oppressor, you're an no, oppressor. No, absolutely not the opposite. Just, the opposite.
2: Obviously, obviously <laughs> you're the opposite. I
0: was, I was just wondering why, <laughs> was the fact that Lemaranda was like light-skinned and Latino, was that, a f- did that f- to them feel more accessible? Did they, is that why they no, got but, through? Well,
2: to be honest, you know, gotta I was a lot younger yeah. then. I, that, I've written that part for myself. I, I was
0: going to ask, yeah. I knew that was going to be the case.
2: Because well, <laughs> I was told, I was told I would be in the movie, but then Nigel said, if I was in it and I was... Um, writing it, it would kind of be my movie, and he'd be just that. He's a, a, it's a quote him: "I'd be the schmuck who directed it." And I was like, "I don't think so." You'd be the director. <laughs> and Nigel, he wasn't having it. So I had to audition. I auditioned for like virtually every part in that film, and was and didn't get into my. I mean,
0: it's a great cast. Yeah.
2: Oh, they were great. And listen, um, Guillermo Diaz, who plays La Miranda, is oh incredible. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'm I'm so happy. I'm I'm, I'm you know I wanted to Puerto Rican, and he is. And um, and so, okay, it's not a black Puerto Rican, but they had black characters in there. There's yes. several. There's yes. like three. And um and that's a lot as a high hit rate for that period. Yeah. Um, because they were everywhere else. So I'm I'm happy, you know, Bostonia has an amazing part phenomenal. and phenomenal plays it so well. Mm-hmm. They're just such a great cast. And even all the people are playing like the small parts, the doorman, and the you know. And, well, you've and got the,
0: Isaiah the Washington, who's the, a, a cop that you ended up working with later on, didn't you?
2: Yes, yes, yes. In uh, in um, uh, that Bird. Blackbird, Blackbird. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And um, yeah, there's. I mean, it's filled with the cast of. If you watch, I don't. But if you've watched the um, Sopranos, virtually the whole cast of the Sopranos. Yeah. Is doing doing um, cameos throughout the movie. You know, A.J. Tsuru. There's all these people there. Yeah, yeah Louis. There's so a great doesn't. New York piece. know, that's a real New York cast. Candice mm-hmm. Kane's in it as
0: well. That was yeah, one of her shows. Yeah, yeah, fans. yeah.
2: I know. I mean, they're all there, and it was a it was a real event. It was such an amazing thing to have happen. It was a dream for me, mm-hmm. and um, and to for me to as a you know a, a British black kid to be in that world with to be able to, to be part of that world and tell that story that very New York story as I'd never even been to New York when I first got the job right nice. and in fact in fact I was fired after the first week um, and because I wasn't an American and because my view was a bit too black queenie <laughs> and uh, and they went with different writers and um, who are more famous than me. And then I, and I, I I could have sued them because I'd got the job and then I was fired uh, uh, before I'd even really written any more than my synopsis. And then I said, "You know, this is my project. I think uh, if you if you're when you're ready for my vision, come back to me." And that's exactly what they did. A year later, I just had to to relax and just go, "This will come back to me. It belongs to me. I can feel it in the universe." And then it came back and mm-hmm. um, and then I had absolute power because they tried everybody else <laughs> and, uh, and it hadn't worked. So now it was my turn to to go, okay, it's going to be really, really queer and black and and there's going to be a lot of, a, a, a kind of spectrum of femme characters mm-hmm. in the centre of this and they and they went with it. Nice. And, and Nigel, once he went with it, he went with it. He was like, oh, they're the leading ladies of this and I was like, yes, they're the leading ladies and he said, that is how I'll film it and that's what he did.
1: Nice. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I did actually read an interview you did last year with each other. I think it was before, like, around Pride last year, and it was leading up to the BFI screenings and stuff, and you yeah. mentioned that. So I'm glad you brought that up because I, I saw that you had some resistance with writing the film, and they wanted to go
2: away. Uh, and So, uh, yeah, I have real, the faxes that came from America oh, this is a bad example for the youth of America. Middle America won't come and see this film. Mm-hmm. People are going to reject it. It's a kind of it, it 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 focuses on the lower end of of the gay experience as opposed to the higher end. I mean, really, like what? And I just had to say, fuck this. Mm. I'm I'm just going to ignore this because I knew I could not compromise on this. I couldn't because, like I said, you know, we they're gonna they're gonna roast us if we get this wrong. <laughs> and then years later, seeing the the other movie, which I have seen, which I didn't see for like three years, but I have seen it everyone kept saying, Uni Six is actually a rewrite of Stonewall, where they've de de queened it basically."
0: If anyone's seen yours, your 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 screenplay, your the production that you, and Nigel, did, um, I mean,
2: it's it's both it, with them because the pressures are enormous. I
0: understand you know. that, yeah, mm. but you know, it got made the right, you know, you know, the right way first. So why? Why make the mistakes?
2: It, it's. It, I'm going to speculate that I think I think that um, that who's the director of that? You know, Roland Emmerich. He, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, right. I, I, I think Roland Emmerich would have been a young filmmaker making his first films 25 years ago. He's, he's a he's a gay man. He saw the film, and I think he wanted to make that film with a bit. You know, he he wanted to make that film just the way that that um, that Gus Van Sant wanted to remake Psycho and. And um, and and um, and right now, um, Spielberg wants to remake West Side Story. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no reason to remake either of those <laughs> films. No reason on this earth to remake either of those films. But they so love them; they want to. And I, I actually think that Roland Emmerich probably saw our film because it's so similar. Yeah, and um, it, like seems at the beginning, it's like scene for scene similar, but just more, but tilted more conservative. It's a really interesting thing as the writer to watch that and go. Well, oh, this is if it, this is what would have happened if I'd taken those notes. Hmm. But I think he thought. I think he honestly thought. I'm so speculating, but I think he honestly thought that I love that film, but I wish it had got a bit bigger audience. If I do it this right. way, it will. Yeah. Right. Do you see what I mean? That's what I think he thought, and uh, and I think it was a sincere attempt to reach a bigger audience with the film. Yeah. Um, but of course, the, the, <laughs> the trailer came out and they started dragging yeah. it. <laughs> They still drag it today, you know, into, literally into another dimension they drag that. Back.
1: Yeah, it's almost like one step forward, two steps back.
2: But for me, um, my ego, I'm afraid, great vindication. <laughs> 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 it's got one wonderful scene in it, the new one, though. There's a wonderful scene. I mean, the acting's great, yeah. mm-hmm. um, from, especially from the kind of Lamaranda lookalike. He's <laughs> a great actor. It, it is, that's what it is. But, I mean, Guillermo is a god, an amazing actor. Yeah. Um, but they did find someone great to play that part. Um, and and they're trying really hard but eh. uh, you know it's like fingernails down a blackboard but there's a great scene where they all sleep in one room Do you yeah. they all sleep in one room all the kids all the homeless kids and I thought oh, I wish I'd done that that was a that was the only bit where I just thought oh that's really good it really got their poverty and their mm-hmm. family thing yeah but otherwise it was just
1: yeah because that was watching. like one of the big things with the Stonewall riots that really kicked off was that there was a lot of the homeless people that were like a part of Stonewall yes. that had yes. nowhere else to go, and Stonewall would take them in, and they would mm. go try to get drinks
2: off of people. Right. and They
1: got really angry because they loved that place, and that was
2: their and home. the pier where they all sleep is two seconds away. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's just all it all comes together. Yeah.
0: I would, yeah, can I ask a question about just especially just to the characters because some when I watch it now and and you know how we've moved on in our understanding of of gender, um, mm. La Miranda describes herself as a a drag queen, but really comes across as trans in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was that, is Uh, that, do you think that was something because of where we were back in the the late
2: 90s that it was still... I mean, she may may have, she's definitely a she. Yeah. But she would maybe say that she was Mm non-binary. She may be on the kind of trans non-binary end of things. You know, it's such a spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Growing and will continue to grow Mm -hmm. and reassess and think it's it's tidal things will come and go. They definitely would have described themselves as drag Queens, right? Right. right? Yeah. But they were, they were kind of, um, they were, they were kind of street Queens and, um, and they lived in between, they weren't full drag Queens. It was like very femme. Whereas definitely Bostonia is a full on living as a, essentially living as a woman. Mm -hmm. So almost certainly would have been trans, but, that trans not deciding maybe top maybe top surgery, but not bottom surgery trans, right? Yeah. Um because that argument actually happens <laughs> in the film. Yeah. And um and that was in an inch you know, I, I was trying to show a range of I, I didn't know the f- the phrases that's, then. But that's but I was, why I was I asking, yeah. A range of, of, of masculine and feminine and everything in between. In, in the in the film, I wanted to show you know the cowboy boy and then mm-hmm. you know the preppy boy and then the you know I wanted to try and get a range. So yeah. the friends were more like a, a kind of that that if it was now and they lived in London, well if it was now they'd be living in Brooklyn and they'd be on that kind of that they'd be on that kind of they'd be doing radical drag shows. Right. And <laughs> And so, th- but but never never looking like boy boys. I think uh, it was
0: just really nice to to see something that kind of in a way was a- ahead of where we where we understood things back then. In a w- in a way like,
2: I, you know what I've got this habit of doing things that seem to be ahead, but they didn't. F- it didn't feel ahead to me. Yeah, it felt like I was doing what I, how I you know, um, I'm a I am my own combination of masculine and feminine and so mm. are my friends in all different ways so in a, in a big uh yeah big spectrum and so i just always wanted to show that and i look back now and i realized that they couldn't even do that stonewall now so i was really was ahead but only because it's ahead for film but not no exactly life. that i obviously yeah. that's what i'm i'm talking about yeah and the same thing happened with sexuality. oh yeah it's 20 years since we shot it in fact this week we were 20 years ago, we were shooting it. We were in the middle of shooting. And it's so interesting. I So I posted a thing, I had a, on the 20th of June, I posted a thing saying, 20, it, a, a clapperboard was in front of some of my cast going, and it says 20th of June, 2000, like 20 years since we shot this. And everybody, all this stuff starts coming back. It was so ahead of its time. It was so ahead of its time, so ahead of its time. And it's true, things that like um, sex education, they look like my show did. And, um, and, but at the time I was roasted. Those critics came after me and said, what's this idea, this, this, this Benetton idea of black and white people living together and gay and straight people living together. It's not realistic. Now, really, they really came for me in a very angry way. And gay press came for me in a really angry way. I just stopped reading or listening to gay radio or anything because every time I turned it on, someone was telling me that my vision was shit. You know, now, Everybody is being dragged up and down the internet if they don't do what I was doing. But it's a weird thing. At the time, everyone was saying it's. Wet. They're still saying it was ahead of its time. But honestly, I can't claim that. I can only say I was actually doing what was happening in my world at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's and that television and film and theatre, sadly, are about twenty years behind the whole fucking time. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel is going on. I think I feel like 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 i uh, seeing your work, Ralph. And the, um, and and you know and what you put on stage and that kind of push and pull and um, and celebration of individual diversity, right? The, in, the, the actual diversity that in, in exists within an individual, within a queer individual. Um, that, that's, that's what I see, but why it's not on television? No. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on television. But yeah, they're they're not commissioning you to create TV and create theater and stuff enough. I'm willing, and, uh, I'm able.
0: You can always call me, whoever's <laughs> listening. <laughs>
1: Hire <Higher> Ralph.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I was doing that in Stonewall, but I, I honestly thought I've just got to tell it. I wasn't going, I'm going to be radical. I'm st- I'm yeah. just, uh, the only radical act I was, was I'm going to be me. I'm mm-hmm. going to do, do it my way. And because um, I was, I'm going to do it how it is. <laughs> that was what it was, not um, I'm, gonna shock everybody or I'm gonna like this is the story it's about a bunch of drag queens and and homeless kids starting a riot.
1: yeah (laughs) yeah I mean like everything that I looked into uh, because to be honest like I wasn't as familiar with Stonewall and I you know start hearing a lot about it obviously last year because it was the uh, 50th Anniversary. anniversary and everything and you know I I'm younger and I just didn't know much about it. And uh, I'm a straight man as well. So obviously, like, it's not as much of something that like I would have been aware of, you know, that I personally like coming up as a straight person would have been aware of. But like looking into it and looking like watching your film, it really like I don't know. I mean, obviously, there are a couple of little things that aren't the same, but it is fiction. But at the same time, it's very like as much as I read into it, like uh, it was a very diverse crowd it seemed that was hanging yes. out, hanging out there at the Stonewall. It's New York! It's like, New York. I feel like for the most part <laughs> that film just really hit it on the head like for just the vibe of what Stonewall seems to have been right. of everything I've read about it
2: so. And yet what we've been what we've had for 50 years since Stonewall and 25 years since my, the film that we made mm-hmm. is, a, a, is not a diverse yeah representation of being gay it's know? it's
0: unreal that i think there was still like there has to be a movie like, about marsha p johnson for people to suddenly know who she was or mm-hmm. sylvia rivera or you like all of these people
2: that were part of that Yeah, but, but people didn't know who harriet tubman was they, right. they, and, and it's taken them all these years to make a movie about harriet yeah. tubman yeah. and um and you know she she uh she beats the the stonewall timeline by about 100 years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so you know dive you know there there are people that seem to have, Custer has had loads of movies made about, you know, General Custer, yeah. has had movie, two year, two movies last year were made about, was it the year before, were made about Churchill. There are people that people like to make movies about. And, the, and to be realistic, it's the people who make the movies who decide who's in, who's, who want to represent themselves. Mm-hmm. So they only do want to do what we're doing, which is represent ourselves. And th- so the only way we're going to change that is to be writers, to be producers, to be directors because then when there's a the, the, the bigger analogy i can give best and it's a respectful one is that the uh, that the holocaust movies i and i watch them all are no fun to watch and they don't make money but jewish people keep making holocaust movies because they want people to remember them and it just so happens that there's a strong jewish community in the film and television industry And so, Steven Spielberg, as sure he made, um, you know, he's a commercial filmmaker and he, uh, you know what he makes, it's mostly about the white bread family. But there was a little beating heart inside him saying, I must make Schindler's List Mm -hmm. one day. And he made it. And so, and he was in the position to make a movie that's grossly, I presume, in fact, I know the least of any of his movies. But, and then they give it loads of Oscars, they support it. And so, what we have to do is have a stronger, um uh, the more diverse groups have to get into those strong positions and and learn from our jewish brothers and sisters and make things that matter to us and then support them for each other because that's all that the straight white guy is doing they're just representing themselves mm-hmm. and they're not going to stop doing that so we have to to um to do the same to ask them to, to represent us is unrealistic
1: yeah I mean, I think that's important because like even myself, if I think in terms of mu- music and stuff, I feel like sometimes it's hard to break through and what you need to do sometimes is just do it yourself, make your own right. stuff. And like, I appreciate that but, from people.
2: Barry Gordy. Yeah. Barry Gordy, where he's just like, no one's giving black people the money, but they're, mm. they're just remaking all the records. I'm going to, so he starts his own record company and comes up with Diana Ross, Four Tops, The Temptations, Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson, The Miracles, The Jackson Five, the, uh, you know, the, um, the list goes on Uh, and he just completely changed the narrative Mm -hmm. by going, by taking, as they say, the, was it the the means of production? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's. That is what we have to do as mm. diverse queer people, as, as, as uh, uh, people of color, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. immigrants, whatever, whatever you are. We're going uh, I'm, to, I'm trying to make space for people who are not me in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, so I hope that people will, but I have to make sure that I represent me and take that responsibility. So N- Nigel wanted to, a whiter version of Stonewall because he's white. Mm. He was white. He's, he wasn't anti black. He just, it's just what he was knows, thinking. Yeah. He, yeah.
1: yeah, well, you are actually doing that yourself. You uh, have your own production company. It's called Team yep. Angelica, and yep. you also took Stonewall and made it into a theatrical production.
2: And yes, I finally got to be in my show. Right? <laughs>
1: and you uh, took it to Edinburgh. They won't in cast me. I'll cast me. Yes, we did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah we did. Can you tell us Good more about, about Team Angelica and then the experience of adapting that from the you know big screen to the theater?
2: I was actually asked to do that. The theater itself, the Pleasants came to me and said, we'd love to do a stage version of Stonewall, would you be interested? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. Nice. And so I adapted it to the stage and we took it to Edinburgh. Um, again, it was hard. We had a big theater and we did well, but it was like, at that point, gay theater in Edinburgh was minimal. Mm-hmm. Minimal. Now you go, it's like a circus. Yeah, whole great bunch of stuff and it's great then we were like there's no other gay shows on here it's crazy but i had an amazing time doing that we brought it back to london and stuff um, but yeah team angelica started because um there were all these actors and writers that were auditioning for me for projects um for theater and film and uh, i just didn't I was, you know, being commissioned to do things, like, you know, by know, Channel 4, or BBC or whatever. And so it was a very small amount of people I could cast in everything. And there were literally people who were haunting me in my mind. And I was thinking, but that person's so amazing, they should have a show. And so I went back to my childhood of writing stuff for my friends, which I'd actually been doing all the time. But I really, at that point, I was, you know, had a nice car and I was working for the BBC and, you know, and the uh, uh, I decided, and I was very unhappy doing all of that. So what I decided to do was I called up a bunch of actors um, and said, um, I'd like to write you a piece. And they were completely confused. This guy auditioned for six months ago, a year ago, wants to write me a play, what's going on? And I said, I, I, I booked a room at the Actors, actors Centre. But I, 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 I buoyed up by this, I decided to ring another group of actors, said, I'm gonna write you a play. And then so they, they come every week at one o'clock and three o'clock on Sundays. And I would just talk to them. And then I wrote them a play each. And then I performed them, made it free for the audience. And I basically wanted to showcase these actors who I thought were really amazing, some of whom were um, too queer looking or some of whom were just too quirky looking or too working class or whatever, or too posh. And they somehow just didn't collect, they were quirky and they, didn't, they weren't getting their due, I thought. So I wrote these plays for them and, it, um, and, and put them both on. Uh, book the theatre, made it free for the audience. And it was just the most extraordinary experience of my life to do that. And I sat on the side of the stage with my guitar, playing the theme music, me and my boyfriend. And it just like, I, this is where I wanna be. And um, and essentially, Team Angelica grew and I had to let go of my car and let go of that whole kind of mainstream career I was having. And um, and just focused on this and it became a. Book company and so now I have hundreds of actors that I mentor and writers and um and we publish all these books and um have all these initiatives and it just makes me so 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 happy and fulfilled and so I'm hoping I can get as continue to get as many to be a kind of creative Harriet Tubman and get as many people through this into careers that are satisfying and um, um, that they're in control of as opposed to being chewed up by the machine and spat out. Um, And that's what I'm doing through that. And I'm still doing, you know, I still like work on American shows like Noah's Ark, Black Gay TV show, which we're doing a special on right now. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do a lockdown special. (laughs) (laughs) Is this exclusive news? No, it's been announced. Okay. It's been announced. Okay. Literally just like been announced. Oh, great, great, great. And, uh, and the, so the fans are going crazy. And um, and Patrick, the creator of that show, is um, is the main writer. And um, I'm, uh, you know, story editor and so producing, And so that's happening. And and actually today, Noel, just, just before we came on the air, Noel Clark, who was in my series Metrosexuality, uh, he has just been tweeting me going, Maybe we should do a, a special one-off revival of Mitch. Okay, I'm available,
0: by the way, as a small part, any part. I'm available.
2: You, there are you, anything you play will never be a small part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I've got some really great queer projects coming up. I'm, I think I'm going to do a thing about a drag queen who's coming to London at a movie. Amazing. And, um, and the kid comes to London and finds his drag life. And uh, oh. so I'm going to need lots and lots of amazing. Um, diverse queers as the the world he falls into. So Ralph, you are top of that. You know where I am, darling.
0: You know where I am. <laughs> you, know what, you,
2: you know. You know. I want to get that whole kind of Shoreditch scene. You know that whole that whole kind of um, what's it called, Dalston scene? Yeah, in the film. Yeah. So that's what Team Angelica is about. And so it's a kind of big loose collective of people who um, I I believe in.
1: Yeah. Ralph, do you have any other questions for
0: Ricky? Oh, yeah. Do you know, actually, I'd love to ask you a little bit about the music
2: that you, that did you, were you just. That was, I said that Nigel had two great ideas. And the second one was maybe they could do some lip syncing. Okay. That was his, idea. it looks like a a Ricky idea. It does really look like a Ricky idea. It was his idea. And I was like, I'm there. And I was like, I know who it should be. It should all be Shangri-Las. I love the Shangri-Las. And I was like, I'll do it all because they're quite cheap relatively. Because I wanted, you know, like Aretha Franklin and that, that stuff is 100,000 per song and all of that stuff. Because so I really wanted to use You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Right. I really but wanted I lo- to use I
0: it. love that it's it's the Shangri-Las. It adds a real quality. It was better, date. yeah.
2: Once I went, okay, well, let's go with the Shangri-Las. It's it's only one, it's one stop. It's one writer. You know, it's one producer. So it's easy to get the rights in one go as opposed to every song being a big battle. And um and then it gave it some unity. And my favorite movie is cabaret. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and um and I wanted to, to do what cabaret did, and so did Nigel, he loved it. And um and so I was like, Yeah, yeah, it can be like cabaret, and so the the, the, the songs can comment on the actions yeah. sophisticated. I, boom boom I love it. and they're getting dressed, mm. and it was so, so, so fun to do yeah. that. And I wrote all the lyrics into the script like they were scripts. So they, 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 they the lyrics are functional dialogue in the script. Nice.
1: I wanna I did want to ask you about that. So I'm glad you've, uh, you've answered that because I, I think that's a really nice part of the film where they're acting as like the Greek chorus. They're just
2: yes, you know, moves
1: yes, the story along. Yes. It's
2: really nice because it, it's you know it's when you take difficult subjects as I always like to do. It's like, how do you get the entertainment value in mm-hmm. there, and um, so that it's just not this kind of like, just like going through the Revenant or something, where you know, you, then he sleeps in a cow, then he does this and he just that, <laughs> you know, it's like he drags himself through an ice, another icy river. It's like, how do you make stuff that people will go and see, you know, and a, a film about a gay riot? Actually, it does. It, you know, what, how do you make it a, a celebratory experience? And the music was a great way into that. Mm-hmm. That I wrote in and actually the costumes, I was really like, she's wearing a pillbox hat and all of that stuff. Oh. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Cause I knew that for all these people, that drag was, and, and man drag too, you know, the suit, it was really important to these guys to wear a suit. And it was very important to Matty Dean to not wear a suit. Mm. And it was very, and then the moment in, he actually finds his inner drag and suddenly understands the, the queer rage and, and, and femme rage and actually celebrates it instead of constantly being bemused by it. All of that, what they wear was so important. So it was like, she wears a mini skirt and high heels. You know, she wears a, a, a little Jackie Kennedy suit for her date and all of that is written in. So, and it was great, cause I wasn't on the set when they shot it. It was great to see the movie and like, oh, they actually got all the things I wrote into the script on the on the screen. That was a really amazing thing to see.
1: Awesome. Wow. Well, my uh, final question for you, Ricky, really is yeah. probably the tough, tougher one. But I mean, it's it's OK. It's uh, no, I'm from Burma. <laughs> I mean, I
2: can, I can do stuff
1: Well, it's uh, basically with everything that's going on, like in the world right now, you know, Stonewall, like it just really feels incredibly relevant. You know, Riots, right? The Riots. struggle of LGBTQ plus rights yes. and then also the Black Lives Matters movements going around the world. Do you care uh, to yes. comment on the importance of these movements and the importance of media such as your film Stonewall in telling these stories?
2: Two big things that resonate with me personally and kind of intersect in my life that are going on right now. Is a a pandemic? Mm-hmm. I have lived through another pandemic. Yeah, this is if you're yes. queer. this yes. pandemics. Yes. Uh, like yeah, duh. <laughs> yes, everyone's like, oh my god. Like, who can I touch? Who can I go? What's the law? What are the rules? We have lived under those rules since 1982, mm-hmm. right? Like how, you know, how much intimacy can there be? All, all of that, you know, and in the first few years of AIDS, it was, is how's it transmitted? How, what is safe? You know, and so we were being put out like, out, you know, out like rubbish out the back of the hospital because people were frightened to touch us. So we've been in that place where, and, and there's so many queer people have been, isolated in their homes with a disease right mm-hmm. and um, and isolated from their own community no one wants to see your skinny self no one wants to see your carposis sarcoma self and trying to find your love in that so this is this is not this is it's very interesting to see the whole world goes through something that we went through and, um, and 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 then people didn't give a shit about. Don't forget, Reagan didn't say the word AIDS the whole time he was the president.
0: That thousands of people died before it was even acknowledged. Thousands and thousands.
2: Thank you. So this is very interesting, and you know, it you know doesn't take away from this. No. This is something extraordinary that is happening. To, that almost everyone in the world is affected by. On you know, it's it's truly a global moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and. And fascinating and of course on top of that um, and um, Black Lives Matter you know people are waking up to you know we're having an extraordinary thing where white people are realizing they're white for the first time <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. and every black kid has had that who grew up in a white society of like about six years old or so someone says something you're like oh I'm black yeah. as opposed to I'm just a kid and white kids don't have that yeah. they have I'm a person and 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 everybody else is a tinted version of me, right a swarthier version of me, a darker version of me, but i 'm a person you know if you say leading man in a film, he looks like Brad Pitt in your head mm-hmm. he doesn't look like Wesley snipes in your head straight away because Wesley is a de- is a, is a, a th- has always been treated you know people Wesley being a metaphor here been treated like a deviation from if you you want the guy next door the one you can relate to he has to look like brad pitt yeah and uh the um you know the 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 perfect straight white male right and um and he himself knows that that's bullshit and has critiqued himself in movies like um uh Uh, fight club and stuff like that. So, and, and with photo shoots and dresses and things, but that's been the default. And so now we have this situation where people are like, oh, okay, so being white is a thing. There are things that go with that and they're having a complete and utter shock. And also that racism exists, isn't it amazing? that people are still saying racism does not exist.
0: Yeah, that's... I mean... Like,
2: that you're having crazy. to... Crazy. The basic <laughs> teaching of that racism exists. And then when they acknowledge it, they immediately pivot to, but you're being racist or pointing it out. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not... There's no such thing as racism. And if you say there is your racist, is the kind of weird circular moment we're at. But I think it's incredibly healthy. And what we're having right now is a moment where that a true levelling that everybody is realizing we're all in this together. And that um, it doesn't matter. You can be king, can you, and you can hold your hand out and try and stop the waves coming in and drowning you on your throne. But COVID does not give a shit. It doesn't matter. Boris really had that moment, didn't he? Of like, oh, you you think you're bad. Well, here I come. (laughs) And, uh, And fascinating for all of us. And the same thing is happening in terms of race. It's like people having to accept. Again, we're having circular arguments about why are we so worried about slavery? It's just history. How dare you pull down that statue? That's our history. Is a weird double argument that we're hearing from people because they're having a crisis moment, just as we had with Me Too recently, Mm -hmm. which is people we adore. I love Rolf Harris. I have to deal with the fact that he's a rapist, right? And so everyone's having to deal with the fact that what people we put up on pedestals as gods were racists and slave owners Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and, uh, and we're not perfect. And so we're having to reassess. Each of us is having to reassess ourselves as imperfect and human. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like the whole of my life. Suddenly everyone is having the same life.
1: Yeah, that's a great answer.
2: Deal with race, deal with sex, deal with, with, with homophobia. Deal with class, deal with it, because you can't pretend it doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And trans women are women. Yes, <laughs> it's just
1: black trans lives matter.
2: <laughs> yeah, giving something. Yes, black trans lives matter. Acknowledging that trans women are women does not make you not a woman, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a big like moment to <laughs> acknowledging that black lives matter. Does not mean that your white life does not matter. Exactly. We don't live,
0: the the problem is, is that people stick themselves into this sum zero mentality, which is not reality by giving, by lifting other people up and giving people something you are not taking away from yourself. You are just raising everyone up, including yourself.
2: It's It's so frustrating. It's
0: okay.
2: There's room for everybody at the table. It's like, you know, they're like kids who like, you see that the kid starts crying if they see you eating something Uh, 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 and they haven't had it yet it's like it's coming around, it's coming around, around. we're all gonna eat today, it's gonna be fine but for people in privileged positions equality feels like a demotion and that's something that they're getting used to
1: yeah well they're gonna have to
2: get used to it
1: because I'm tired of seeing confederate flags in my hometown
2: Oh, uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: I'm from the South. So like every time I go back home, it's gotten worse since I've moved over here to the UK. Like when I go back home, there's like... But do you think you just see guys. it more? No, no. They, they literally, when they start taking them down, like particularly in my hometown
2: like my people go and say garage and where's that confederate flag i need to fly yeah
1: i mean because in my hometown it's literally considered the last capital of the confederacy it's like danville virginia and that's like confederate moved down and there was like there was a museum in my hometown where jefferson davis lived and there used to be this weird sort of confederate flag flying it wasn't the proper like stars and bars but it was like a different kind of flag and they took it down and when they did that people got mad and they start putting up Confederate flags in all these private property locations where they technically couldn't be forced to take it down
2: because it was private property. And it was, At least least you know where the racists are. Yep, yep. So, but on the other hand, I read a great article this morning, I think, about this guy who was was having his Confederate flag tattoo removed mm -hmm. because he realized, seen this, yeah. And there's been a big surge of, of tattoo removals around that because people have realized these things actually mean something. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, a band I like, or, you know, oh, it's just a cool thing that my friends and I were into. Mm-hmm. It was punk or whatever. They're realizing oh, I've got a kid and they're seeing that Confederate flag on my body. This is literally what the guy was saying in the interview is that he sees that flag on my body and I'm telling him that that it's all right and it's not all right, yeah. so I'm having it removed. So. You know, it's, obviously it's painful. There are people who still don't believe women should have the vote. There are still people who believe the earth is flat. are <laughs> never going to get everyone. Yeah. They're never going to get everyone. But there seems to be a movement, right? Yeah. Generally, we believe well, we're gonna, the world We're going to annoy
0: there. the flat earthers now on the PCC podcast. I've been doing that. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> I, I've made plenty of flat earth jokes on this podcast.
2: But very interesting. It's a very interesting illustration of how fixed thinking can be mm-hmm. and you have to accept that some people can't get there all you have to do is make sure that the majority is there and that's the society we're going to be living
1: in nice well ricky i don't want to take up too much more of your time thank you i work yeah thank you so much for coming on and also like if you want to plug away like where people can find you on social media and keep up today yeah
2: i'm easy to find ricky bb um, uh, yeah at, at Ricky BB and my name Ricky Beadle Blair. I'm there on all of the um, social medias. Um, I try and post stuff every day that lifts people up and gives you know gives a perspective on self-awareness and self-protection and self motivation and uh, on also projects. right now in lockdown I'm doing tons and tons and tons of free workshops to how to be a writer, because everyone should write something, um, acting, directing, how to take control of your career. And they work with people who are not in the show business as well. Um, I'm putting out films and, you know, there's a lot happening at the moment. And, and, and most of it is free. I even teach an exercise class twice a week on Zoom. That's, you know, if you can pay for it, you can pay for it, if you don't, pay it free. So I'm around and I'm doing stuff, come along, get involved. And, um, and find your creative self self for your, and um, because I believe everybody has a face worth seeing and a voice worth hearing and a story worth telling. And I want to encourage as many people to get their stage, uh, to to take their stage, take the screen and, and take the world because it's yours. It's ours. Let's live every single 2nd second you've got. Live it, live it, live it.
1: Thanks so much Ricky. Thanks (laughs) Ricky. Thanks for telling your story. Thank you for (laughs)
2: inviting me. No
1: worries and thank you Ralph for having Ricky uh, you know getting in contact and having Ricky come on and everything. Oh (laughs)
0: anytime.
2: Well I'll see you on set.
0: Yes I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready ready for my close-up Mr. DeMille. Mr. Blair. Mr. (laughs) B. Blair. There we are. I'm ready.
2: Blair DeMille. All right, magic (laughs) editing. We're back. that
0: was great. I really (laughs) needed that break.
1: Yeah, thanks so much to Ricky Beetle Blair for coming on. Everyone, go find Ricky. He said at Ricky BB. You can find him all over the internet and find out what he's doing. He's really interesting, and I love that he's providing like a voice and a platform for people who are almost. It's like you know the voice of the voiceless, being someone that can help you know people out and push people who don't have the opportunities into the right directions and ways that they can be proud of the work they're doing and that's really awesome. I like when I heard yeah. that I was like, oh that's So you can get your
0: daily uh, Love Ninja advice. That's what he was talking about. His Love Ninja advice that he gives every day. You can check that out. That's always a nice uplift to the Thanks. day. <laughs> well, let's
1: let's just get into a little bit of about what makes this film really fun and I think a lot of that comes down to the cast itself uh for instance la miranda oh. the the lead we were Amazing. questioning ricky about whether or not we if if ricky's intentions or what what she would consider herself as is a drag or is she transgender but mm-hmm. she's sort of fluid in that way but la miranda is played by the wonderful guillermo diaz uh lots of people will know guillermo diaz if you were a fan of the Chappelle show or if you watched half baked with dave Chappelle. uh Cause he was a big part of both of those, but he's also been in tons of indie films, for instance, like party girl with Parker Posey. I, think I, I love do. that film. Yeah, party girl is amazing. I really want to see that again. Uh, he's in that film. I think I do 200 cigarettes. And I new- love that. Stay <laughs> the- away from B <laughs> 200
0: cigarettes is yeah. my, um, just, just jumping in here. Yeah. When I moved to New York um, in 2003, I lived on Avenue C yeah. and my housemates at the time were like, you need to watch 200 cigarettes and then, then, then we can talk about where you live. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah. yeah. And he's even in
1: Kevin Smith. Like he, your listeners out there, are Kevin Smith fans. I know we have so many of them. He was in cop mm-hmm. out. So he's had yes. tons of roles. He was in TV shows as well, like weeds and girls. And then even recently in broad city, like I saw him pop up and then I was like, Oh shit. Like German Diaz. He's, I, he's just in so many great things. And I love that he's just like an openly gay actor in Hollywood as well. And there's like, he's just always sort of been open and played roles where he can play like in Chappelle show and in Half-Baked, you wouldn't even know because he's just like so fucking good at just playing that tough guy role. But at the same time, he's like been totally open to play all these gay roles throughout his career in all these indie films. And it's amazing that it actually kind of started really early on with a film like this.
0: I was going to say, I was I was looking through the cast list as well, and it's really interesting you bring this up because there is this kind of idea that in Hollywood, if you play a, a, a queer or gay role, it's going to impact your choices, especially if you are actually gay, mm-hmm. right? Because then you get identified as the gay guy You yeah. can only play gay roles. Um, and look at this cast list is really amazing. Yeah, and, definitely. And I don't feel like many of them have encountered that problem but there is an interesting idea i did sort of briefly touch on it with um with ricky uh, was that um isaiah washington was in this and was also in blackbird mm-hmm. with ricky after his a bit his controversial controversial moment in gray's anatomy when he got fired yeah. for using the uh the homophobic slur yeah yeah and it's just interesting that this was filmed so much more before and he was in this film, which is clearly about, you know, LGBTQ plus rights. And then I just, I just found it really interesting. And then he was in a film with Ricky. So I guess that really does speak to, to how I wonder what that says basically is interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had that discussion a couple of weeks ago because we did, you know, talk about Philadelphia and there's yeah. a lot of controversy around, denzel washington's character like Mm -hmm. obviously playing uh, such a homophobic character in in the film who turns around and like i don't know not saying that he was cured of that but you know obviously we'll see you know through a homosexual's eyes and dying of AIDS and just coming around a little bit and you you see that there's hope there but then in the background there's there was a lot of weird controversy with him Telling like Will Smith to don't be kissing old man, and yeah, in
0: six degrees of separation, yeah, just really,
1: yeah, yeah, really weird stuff. But I mean, you know, I don't know. Like we said, Phil and I, we were just like, hopefully, there's hope there that like that film teaches a little bit that there's hope that people can. I mean, that's what we have to. We bit.
0: have to celebrate when people yeah. evolve. I think. Mm-hmm. I think if you, if someone makes, and listen, none of us are perfect in our world, in our lives, for yeah. various different things. And I think a lot of us are learning that, especially now. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who have held on to certain bias in their life, and now they're starting to realize that those bias, whether intentional or not, um, is problematic. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think if we create everyone as a perpetrator of um of, of 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 a negative thing when they're trying to improve then you're not giving anyone kind of the impetus to apart from you know what's right you're not saying to someone hey it's great that you're being better if you're constantly going to be told you you know even though you're you're being better or you're you're trying to be better you're never going to, f- you're never going to, um,
1: live that down,
0: live that down. Yeah. And I, of course you never forget. And you, and you always must Absolutely. hold on to that truth and that history mm-hmm. for sure, because that's part of how you learnt, and you must never it- dismiss it as it's gone. No, that's part of what we've done and we- where we've been, but you could certainly be evolved and you could have yeah. certainly in- and have moved forward. And I think it's always important. Um, it's, When people have been through, you know, when they have been saying homophobic things um, or to say, have you really learned? Have you learned from a place where you really do understand why that was problematic? Yeah. Do you have you do you does your heart tell you that was wrong? And if it does and you've understood why and you would never do that again, then hopefully then you have to allow that person to move on as well. You know, yeah. everyone
1: needs that room to grow you know and i think this film itself has that sort of you know that story and that lesson there with all of its characters really Mm. you know uh maybe someone like a la miranda guillermo diaz's character like needs to learn to like you know maybe open up a little bit more about her feelings and stuff with people and learn to be loved and learn to love and uh yeah. you know and that's like a big thing. And then her partner that she meets in the film, there's Maddie Dean. He's the oh. the young boy that comes from down south and he he's played by <sighs> Frederick Weller, you know, and like, I mean this is Frederick Weller's first starring role. Like yeah. and uh he you know, he's the cousin of Robocop <laughs> <in Peter> <laughs> <Weller>. <laughs> which is nuts. He's had a great long career now. And, uh, you know, he, he plays this character. It's almost like a bit of a Joe Buck, you know, midnight cowboy style, like coming to New York from the South and getting into the big city. And, uh, except he knows he's gay. unlike Joe Buck hasn't really quite figured it out. You know, it's like a weird parallel there. Like
0: it's, I found his character really interesting. I've got to say, um, and also a bit confusing. Um, we didn't have time to get into it with, with Ricky, but, Mm -hmm. um, I love that Matty was so um, comfortable with his sexuality as soon as he arrives, but he didn't have any of that. Oh, I've come to the big city to figure out who I am as a Uh gay man. No, it was just like, well, he is doing that, but he's doing it from a place of much more like, Oh yeah, I'm definitely gay. You know, and we should, you know, he was even quite, you know, forthright with his, you know, right on kind of gay, gay liberation behavior, right at the very beginning in the very first scene. And his, his he seemed completely unfazed by Lamaranda's gender identity, and, yeah. and 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 sort of fell for her, not in spite of but also because of as well. It seemed to be something that he really found attractive mm-hmm. in her. But then, on the same token, he ends up dating this guy Ethan.
1: Absolutely, that was next, Brendan Corballis.
0: Yeah, and you know we spoke to Ricky about that, and I, and I understand why it was there, but it did. It always has struck me as odd because. I just never understood why they were ever together.
1: Yeah, it was it was a funny sort of, yeah, like, it didn't really make much sense. Except no. for maybe just pure lust. I don't know. Y-
0: yeah, or maybe, you know, it, it creates a tension and yeah. then gives, you know. But it, it, it unfortunately really just, I no wonder, like, the character of LaMiranda, Mar- La like, is untrustworthy. Because... Mm-hmm you know she she starts to believe in this guy and then she finds out he's sleeping with someone else yeah, you know
1: absolutely, it's yeah.
0: and then you know that's you know when someone's going through you know don't forget this is the 60s and and being someone that's you know or tr- trans or, you know it's it's, it's going to be hard you're going to be ostracized from your family you are not able to work you're 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 going to be penalized you so you're not, not going to be able to find an apartment not be able to work you're reliant on you know a community that also even at that time isn't going to be the most supportive. So you are pushed down to the lower ends of society, which is where those people hung out was the Stonewall.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have this Brendan he's playing Ethan. It's his only film role. So there's not much about him, but I mean, he's good in the he's film. Great. He's great. He's great. And he's just, that's him. That's his career. Uh, in the film, he plays a member of the homophile group that was, either supposed to be or inspired by the Mattachine Society which Ricky did mention in our interview that we did earlier but like they never actually said that it was the Mattachine Society in the film that I don't recall but
0: they said they were the uh, homophile Um, society I think it was a yeah
1: (laughs) which is a really funny word uh, oh my god it makes me giggle every time I hear
0: it it.
1: yeah it's like when someone says they're an Anglophile it's just like uh, it's weird
0: (laughs) I see it bright pink box with files in it it's a
1: homophile uh but i loved i loved the bit where they go to fire island which is the beach uh where obviously a lot of homosexual men are hanging out together but they're not really allowed to show that they're homosexual they can't wear provocative uh swimsuits and when they go to dance they can't (laughs) hold hands yeah and that's the funny thing about it is it like I did like that because it showed Mm. Matty Dean basically like what he had and what was special about the uh, Stonewall is the fact that it was one of the only gay clubs in New York City that would allow gay men to dance together and it was you know not found and then when you go to this place where he meets Ethan and Ethan's telling him of this great place and it's so sexy and you're going to see all these sexy men and it's going to be wonderful. And then they can't even dance together. And it's just like <laughs> someone comes <laughs> over and berates someone for being too close. It's like being at a, like, I don't know, middle school dance or something. Yeah. It's like,
0: Oh, six inches, six inches. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's interesting. after speaking to Ricky, how, you know, he wanted to tell the story of, of Stonewall and then was, um, you know, sort of, I mean, suggested to add these elements in which actually i think um for, for a film um that is actually really interesting i love i love seeing worlds collide i think i mm-hmm. think for, them, for me that's interesting viewing you know to watch two different worlds collide and i think if it didn't have that element it wouldn't show how brilliant like you just said how brilliant the world of stone was and how open and genuine and and um and celebratory it was for who you were you know, there yeah. was those scenes, there's a wonderful scene where Matty sort of brings that society in and they have to, to try and promote this, their agendas. They, they have to be refused to drink at the bar. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The sip in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, the, the owner, the, the manager, you know, she, she's the manager of the bar. She's like, Oh God, like, I don't want you, like the bartender's like, I don't want you guys in here. You're just trouble. You don't get asked. i da get out. But they, they relent because they understand these two worlds need to coexist Mm-hmm. And like Ricky said, you know, you, you do always need the people that are, you know, going down the political, comfortable, or not comfortable, but political, safe, right avenue route. And then you do need the people that are throwing the bricks and, and yeah. making a noise. And, and and I really I really do like that about this film, actually. And I think it does, as you said, really highlight how great that bar was.
1: Yeah. And, well, you're talking about throwing bricks and kind of, the spark of the whole riot in this film really was Dwayne Boot as Bostonia who yes. plays the sort of mother figure of all the drag queens at the at the uh, Stonewall. Uh, and Bostonia has a really unique thing which we talked about with Ricky, mm. has that relationship with the club owner, Vinny. So in real life, the real Stonewall Inn was actually a front for the mafia. They basically had it as a, a bar where they were probably making some money off of very rich patrons. That's what I was looking up. Like there would be very rich people coming in and the mafia would be basically squeezing them. But at the same time, they did allow this venue to exist where Mm -hmm. there was no alcohol license or anything. And they allowed gay people there to dance and stuff. And it was like one of the few places that was starting to let trans people come in or, or uh, drag queens and all that. And then even women were coming in. And at first it was mostly men, but it got really diverse. Um, but it was run by the mafia and it's really interesting. They were they were obviously paying off the police and stuff. And in this film, Ricky did touch on it with Vinny, who's uh, played by Bruce McVitie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, the mafioso who basically runs Stonewall. And uh, Yeah, in this the interesting story with Vinny in Bostonia is Vinny is closeted And he wants to be with Bostonia, but he's obviously he's dealing with his own mental problems of having to accept the fact that he's gay and then he's supposed to be straight and all this sort of stuff, even to the point where he wants Bostonia to get a sexual reassignment surgery so they can go run off together like that's going to fix anything in 1969, (laughs) go off to Arizona. Where are they going to go? Like, what are they going to do? Like in 1969, you know, it's such a different time now.
0: Yeah it's really interesting you say that John because if you think about TV shows like Pose that's yeah. really uh current at the moment also the new TV show called uh, the comp- TV show competition called Legendary which is about the ballroom scene um because Nigel Finch who directed this was the executive producer of Paris is Burning which was the documentary that really brought the ballroom scene of New York into the kind of public awareness and well, Pose is now setting the in the 80s at the start around the the kind of time of the AIDS situ- uh, epidemic that was happening. And when you look at the fact that so many of the stories are parallel in the sense that in 1969, there was still a woman, uh, a, a trans woman, that was that was going through the same journeys 20 years later. And then still we're having that dialogue now in 2020, which is 40 years later. So we're talking 60 years, mm-hmm. 60 years of having the same damn conversation about respecting trans identities and and the, and the trauma it causes people to to not accept that trans women are women uh, or, or trans men are men is is, is, is to me absolutely ins- is absolute insanity uh, to, do you know what i mean i just it just yeah. it baffles me to see a film that's set in 1969 and the the persecution that these women and men faced and and that they are the ones that gave, sorry, I'm getting on my high horse here now. These, (laughs) these, these are the people that were at the front lines of the riots at Stonewall. Mm -hmm. You know, these are black trans women at the outside Stonewall in throwing bricks, throwing rocks, you know, along with everyone else of that community. It's not, you know, it it was, it was a collective effort, but they really led the charge. And then the the fact that we as a community is struggling to cohesively accept and lift up these people is is infuriating to me. And the fact that these stories are sixty years old and they paved the way for us to have the rights we have now. We we have a charity based on the name Stonewall that these women made famous.
1: Yeah, we have yeah. we
0: have marches every year at Pride that all of the LGBTQ, uh, but the, the, the gay and lesbian community march on to celebrate their 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 independence and and, and their rights which were started by these black and Latin trans women. And yet still we have people blocking them and, and, and and not lifting them up and not letting their stories. So black, black trans women are the highest um, percentage of, be, of people being murdered, you know, yeah. in the LGBT community. And also it's just really important. This film was made 25 years ago. Yeah. And, you know it just it just it makes it, it it makes me sad to think that we haven't moved on and the fact that this film is so difficult to to see and that the remake happened in 2015 and erased those characters mhm is very is, this is why i get really angry about that film because we, we 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 have a right as a community to ensure that those stories are told and and that's why i've always really enjoyed this film and I've always really felt that it spoke to me and I feel very annoyed that the recent version of it did not lift it up further it took away and I understand the reasons behind it Ricky talked about them very eloquently Mm -hmm. and I have no I've no issues with the filmmaker Ricky really put it into context as to why that would have happened but it shouldn't have in my opinion and um, we have to remember what Stonewall really represents this film is a really interesting look, both in documentary form and in dramatic form, of the story of this, or, or, or a story of it. We should say really a yeah, story.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's so diverse, and like I said to Ricky, it feels like everything I've read about the actual Stonewall. Of this film actually hit where there was just mm-hmm. just all those characters were there, and. It's a shame, like, I've not seen Roland Emmerich's 2015, you know, disaster film. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I've not seen it. But, you know, it's it's a shame if those, you know, those voices are changed or, or modified or erased or however you want to put it, like, taken away. It's, it's a shame because there is such, you know, in the original story in 1995, like, it's amazing that 25 years ago we were getting things a little bit more right. Some, in certain in certain well, aspects, you know,
0: as as Ricky said, you know, he was writing from a place of his truth, yeah, and um, that makes sense to me. I think that's why the film resonated to me when I was a teenager and I first saw it. Um, as many as many queer films did, you know. I think the the benefits of moving forward in society with equality, uh, you know, marriage rights, are amazing. But what they do is they also stifle some really challenging voices yeah. um i think we're starting to see a, a, an interesting development now i think the in i mean if you look at the 90s the the indie filmmaking scene was definitely dominated by lgbtq voices mm-hmm. you know they really were the ones out there making these indie features when indie films was like made on a shoestring yeah you know really dynamic interesting films um and then you go into the 2000s and an indie film becomes actually not so indie. It, it costs a few million to make an indie movie. Yeah, definitely. And so it, those voices don't get a place anymore because effectively Hollywood co-opts the indie movement. It's, it's interesting to see hopefully now that now we've got access to filmmaking equipment that's cheaper or editing software that's, that's, that's accessible and filmmaking mm-hmm. is accessible to people. We're starting to hear those voices, those really fringe... And uh, bold and interesting voices come through again uh, in cinema, and I and I think that's that's a great thing. And I think this was one of those films that really, because of the backing of the BBC, really sort of ended up in a in a kind of a mid space between the two yeah. at that time. Absolutely. Um, so that it's just it just it's it's just again again upsetting to see that this film has been lost in the in the rights vortex, yeah, as definitely. I call it.
1: Well, rounding out the cast, there's Michael McElroy, first uh, film role here for Michael McElroy as well. He played Princess Ernestine. He's yeah. the no nonsense bartender who's great in this film. Brilliant. Uh, but yeah, Michael McElroy's gone on to do a lot of Broadway, including having a stint in Rent, his, you know, Tom Collins. So,
0: Oh, Tom Collins, that's what I played in Rent. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: and you mentioned Isaiah Washington having a little role in this, but also Louise Guzman. <laughs> Yes, is the doorman Vito. Yes, which amazing has like I don't know. Luis Guzmán at this time was in so many of these bit roles. He was
0: was, everywhere. He was anything to do with like mafia, Italian, New York. He was the guy. He was your go-to guy on TV and film. He was the guy. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I I did a thread like a few months back before the lockdown and all this, and I was watching The Substitute um, with uh tom beringer and he's just like in the smallest weirdest bit role and i'm like this is Louis guzman <laughs> like why is he not doing more he's great but yeah soundtrack we talked to ricky a little bit about how the the uh drag queens would do the lip sync movements like in uh mm-hmm. to all the great songs acting as if they're like a bit of a greek chorus passing on yeah. more of the story and song format and you just had like the opening of the film with the ad-libs boy from new york city and then as ricky said he just wanted all the shangri-la songs so there's quite a few shangri-la songs and then there's the sherelle great
0: soundtrack so good
1: yeah and even like uh bare Necked
0: ladies have a song on the <laughs> is that is that the one is that the, the last song is that the title song
1: Maybe. I wasn't really
0: sure. I need I to go back and be. look
1: it up. But um, I just saw it when I was doing some research. The, lot, I was like,
0: what? the title song is great.
1: Well, like one of the things you brought up is the fact that, and we talked about with Ricky as well, that this story is La Miranda's story, but the story of Stonewall can almost be like anyone's story because everyone has a story about Stonewall. With that, when you look at some of the critical analysis of this film, a lot of people did love this film, but there was some critiques particularly towards factual inaccuracies. And Mm -hmm. I'll go through some of those now. Yeah. But uh, from what, like I said, for the most part, this film feels pretty true to like what was going on at the time. Obviously it's fictional. So there are storylines and elements that kind of move around with different characters, but that's just sort of setting the scene of what was going on at the time of the whole Stonewall movement. For instance, like your March in Philadelphia, that was actually taking place in 1965 to 1969 yearly, and that would be held on July 4th. So it actually happened too early in the storyline of this film because this would, you know, it'd be the 28th of June in 1969. Mm-hmm. So that's just like one little thing. Uh, the sip in actually, so they were going around uh, trying to get refused service from bars. That actually took place in 1966, and it didn't include the Stonewall at all as a stop. Uh, they would actually refuse service at the legendary Greenwich Village gay bar called Julius, which is a Julius's very... Julius's in- bar. I love yeah.
0: Julius's bar. It's great. to get a good burger and fries there while you get really? you a drink. Yeah, yeah. nice.
1: They're, like It's a very interesting <laughs> bar because it's long time been known as a gay bar, but yeah. at the same time, it had so much history of like refusing gay service, which it, it's really interesting. I was looking into Julius and it feels like there's a little bit of that... Uh, I don't know, like a little bit of that sort of spice added into Stonewall in this film as well. Um, And then also we talked about a little bit with the customer base, mostly being male and cross-dressing males and then also transgender people. And then there would be some lesbians there as patrons to the club. But that would also, you know, kind of give a little bit of like who started the spark. Who was that initial spark as Stonewall? And there's that creates a lot of controversy. Was it uh, Stormy De Laverie? Sorry, I probably said that name wrong because I say names wrong on this podcast. <laughs> uh, who is a lesbian who's often credited as being the person who you know basically was trying to get away, was arrested and was trying to get away from the cops so many times and got hit by the batons. And then that mm. ended up sparking the crowd. But then there's a lot of people who say Marsha P. Johnson was the big spark of everything but she herself has said that she wasn't. She yeah. just came a bit later. Um, but yeah, you know, so there's a lot of like interesting little things with like the history. It's really nice to go and look up the real history of Stonewall. And then just the fact that there's even like controversy there,
0: <laughs> like it's, everyone think, has a story. I think there is a controversy there. And I, and, I, and I think the reason is, and I've thought about this quite a bit. I think the reason is, is that when this film came out, people were desperate to have, their story to- our story told yeah and although this was you know a a fiction a, a story a, a, a fictional film they wanted it to be right which is why i think the 2015 film also of proves, proves problematic because we want the story to be told correctly how many films do we see that are all about historical accuracy that are made in a way that really re- respects the legacy of it whereas you know I completely understand Ricky and and Nigel's choices on this one because like, it's hard. No one knows what the true story is. You know, there's lots of different stories and they made their choices. Um, But I think that's why people got annoyed because especially in New York and reviewers in America were like, no one, Americans generally don't like British people telling their stories anyway. So that's already (laughs) going to be annoying for them. But, um, but it's going to be like, no, you you didn't tell the story that I love. Like I wanted you to talk about this, yeah. and you didn't. Therefore, it's wrong. You know. Yeah. I, at the same time, you know, I, I get it. I get. I get. I get that. And I think that just shows that why people are so passionate because we need our stories to be told, and yeah. they and they haven't been, and even to this day they haven't really been. But you know, thankfully, we do have those documentaries about Marsha P. Johnson, and I saw a great um, quote from Sylvia Rivera. Um, which really resonated with me. And I'd like to to read it if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. She says, I've been beaten. I've had my nose broken. I've been thrown in jail. I've lost my job. I've lost my apartment for gay liberation. And you will treat me this way. What the fuck is wrong with you all? Think about that.
1: Yeah, that's really you good. You know,
0: so, you know, when you think about it, that, you know, to this day, we, you know, these voices, these stories are still yet to be really fully told. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see someone go, you know what? Let's make a film that really tells those stories. Yeah, and I think this one—this is why I love this film so much because it's the one for me that comes closest. You know, Just telling that story to yeah. telling that story. Yeah.
1: Well, I—I I will read this uh, as well. Another quote, and this oh, is from Michael Fader, as Stonewall patron, who summarized the atmosphere of the night of the riot. And I feel like you really get it with this film. And then also this just feels like the movement that's going on right now around the world, Mm -hmm. which we did talk about a little bit with Ricky. Uh, We all had a collective feeling like we'd had enough of this kind of shit. It wasn't anything tangible anybody said to anyone else. It was just kind of like everything over the years had come to a head on that particular night in that one particular place. And it was not an organized demonstration. Everyone in the crowd felt that we We're never going to go back. It was the last straw. It was time to reclaim something that had always been taken from us, all kinds of people, all different reasons, but mostly it was total outrage, anger, sorrow, everything combined, and everything just kind of ran its course. It was the police who were doing most of the destruction. Interesting, eh? Interesting? (laughs) We were really trying to get back in and break free. And we felt that we had freedom at last, or freedom to at least show that we demanded freedom. We weren't going to be walking meekly in the night and letting them shove us around. It's like standing your ground for the first time, and in a really strong way. And that's what uh, caught the police by surprise. There was something in the air, freedom a long time overdue, and we're going to fight for it. It took different forms, but the bottom line was, we weren't going to go away. And we didn't.
0: Yes. We did it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So
1: like I said last year, uh, for the 50th anniversary of of Stonewall, there was just celebrations everywhere. I saw it here in London. I had a really good time last year at Pride running around London. There was so much going around. But the thing I kept hearing a lot at almost every big place where there were people talking or doing things or singing, there was so much talk about Stonewall. And last year Uh, the 50th anniversary pride celebration in New York City saw an estimated 5 million people attend to celebrate in Manhattan.
0: That was World Pride there, I think. Yeah, yeah,
1: World Pride, yeah. And on June 6th of 2019, New York City Police Commissioner James P. O'Neill rendered a formal apology on behalf of the New York Police Department for Mm -hmm. its actions of its officers at Stonewall in 1969. So it's important to remember that the Stonewall movement was just the start of a very long battle. absolutely. But it's still just it's been another decade before homosexuality was actually legal in New York State. and then another three decades before gay marriage was legal. And now just one of the biggest ob- obstacles is transgender rights and particularly with the black lives Move matter movement matter. <laughs> sorry, the Black Lives <laughs> Matter movement is the importance of black trans lives. And we yes. said that closing off with Ricky as well. You know it's important to remember these things, and it's great that this story has a very important character like Bostonia as being Ugh. you know a black trans person, and it's just I don't know like it, it's important to try if you can find this film, I would go out and try to find it. If not, just go listen to this episode, go look about, look up about uh Stonewall, go look into Marshall Pete Johnson's story. Uh, there's just so much there to look into and a lot of important history to learn. And I was glad to learn it because uh, I, I myself, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't know much about it, you know, and it's nice to do this. So thank you, Ralph, for Pleasure. Uh, thank making you. me look into it a little bit more.
0: Oh, you're wonderful. Thank you. It's been a joy to talk about this uh, and also talk to Ricky and 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 mm-hmm. just celebrate this film. I really hope that whoever's listening, if they have connections or powers that be, that they find a way to make sure this film gets seen We'd, I know that as soon as we can at the Prince Charles, uh, you know, open and, and program films. I'm sure if there's a way we will try, as we have been for years to yeah. screen this film.
1: Absolutely. Well, speaking of which, I mean, we're gonna hopefully get back before too long at the Prince Charles Cinema. Uh, is there anything, any other, you know, uh, white wells, if you if you will, uh, that you have your eyes on? Out there that you'd like to bring to your Unicorn Nights strand?
0: Oh, films? Let me think. Oh, gosh. It's so weird. Um, I've been doing, you know, Unicorn Nights has been running for five years now. Yeah. And um, we've had some amazing experiences doing it. Uh, and, and, you know, some films I'm, I'm really pr- proud and really happy about the impact they've had. I remember, you know, as I say, a lot, number of the films that I screened that suddenly were, I'd find suddenly on Netflix or whatever. I'm like, Oh, that definitely wasn't there before we did a screening. Yeah. Um, you know, so I really, I, there, there is a lot of films coming out. I, I'm really interested in looking at some of the, um, the kind of nineties weird films like, um, doom generation and all of that, you know, that, cause I think, there's some interesting voices there that that I think our our audiences would like to see. And also documentaries. There's some amazing, amazing documentaries coming out now mm-hmm. with LGBTQ subjects. Um I just watched Disclosure, which was yeah, on Netflix. Yeah. Um and I mean that's an astonishing film. Candice Kane is in that, and she was also in this film as well. Um she plays one of the divas at the beginning. And, you know. It's really, it's, I'd love to, I'd, you know, I'd love, love to screen more documentaries. Um, we love, I love shorts, we're screening shorts. And we did have an amazing programme lined up with um, Queer East, which was the East Asian Film Festival. Yeah, yeah. Um, with some great films that we were going to screen with them. But unfortunately that was uh, kiboshed by the COVID. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those there's, there's loads of films. I, honestly, do you know what, guys? If any of you listening out there have a favourite uh, film under the LGBTQ plus umbrella, why don't you just drop us a message, send them to us at unicorn nights, which is at unicorn nights on all the platforms and let us know what films you'd like us to screen.
1: Yeah, we've, absolutely.
0: We've had some great fun times. We did a great Christmas movie called seasons of love last yeah. year, which sold out, tw- I think yeah, twice,
1: twice. Definitely. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that was, Big. that was great to screen that film. That was a, pre- that was a UK, that was a, was a European premiere, I think. I or think UK so, premiere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks. Thanks to telefilms for that. Um, and, you know, that's that was a great, real, like, lesbian-focused film. I do like to show films that really do encompass the L, the G, the B, the T, the Q, and the plus, you know. So if there's a film that you go, do you know what? That film really represents me, and I've never really got a chance to see it. I don't think it's been mentioned or noticed. Let us know. We're, we're, we are really open to seeing to, and to showing anything once we can, and I really look forward to coming back to doing that
1: nice can't wait to have you back and also hopefully you can get lilting back in there because that was one of the first films i saw as a usher at the cinema because it had come out at that time and it was
0: absolutely
1: wonderful and it was a shame that that was obviously canceled because COVID. that was in your uh queer east that was
0: ben we're sure if you're listening we welcome you (laughs) Come on. come to q a with me
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure he's a listener of the pod charles cinecast i'm sure we haven't driven him away yet <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, Ralph, thanks so much for coming on. I'm glad we got to talk about Stonewall finally. I know you've yes. been wanting to do that for many years now, and uh hopefully one day we can screen it and, you know, we'll do something big for it. Hopefully this will yes. spark people's imagination a little bit. Uh I don't know. You can find it out there. Uh, maybe it's very hard to find, so maybe you won't actually be able to find it. It's not streaming anywhere or anything there are so there are
0: dvds you but, can buy yeah online. you can buy a dvd they're they're going to be secondhand but yeah. um
1: what's a dvd player <laughs> right I'm, I'm
0: really i'm really just hoping that someone that's listening knows someone at bbc or bbc worldwide or mm. you know somewhere that can go hey we can we can help you find a way to get this yeah. out there because i think it's a great film and i think it should be seen and also nigel it's nigel finch's last like yeah. his his film we should that's that's worth in itself just being able to say hey this is a great maker of of film and this is one of his you know great great things you know we should see Absolutely. it cool
1: well ralph where can people find you you said unicorn nights obviously at unicorn nights where can people find you
0: uh so at unicorn nights for all the unicorn night stuff uh um at uh drag me out here for my drag race themed yeah. escape room game we'll it's down more down. than just an escape room trust me <laughs> and uh then you can also find me or follow me in all of my uh my chats with um uh online all the different things i'm doing the album that i talked about fallen um and all the different things and the performance that i've done with mind the gap you can find me at ralph bogard that's r-a-l-p-h-b-o-g-a-r-d
1: nice and you can find me at tall for all t-a-l-l the number four a-l-l at twitter instagram and facebook and as always the cinemas podcast you can find that at podcast at prince charles Cinema.com for email if you want to email us anything let us know if you know anybody who can get this film on the screen you can hit us up as well be sure to hit up ralph as well and also we're at the pcc podcast on twitter and instagram and as always, if you've got any spare change, you want to help out the podcast, I would recommend go help out an uh, organization that will you know represent trans lives like mermaids or anything like that out there. Oh,
0: Also, uh, I'm just jumping in because um, our, our charity that we support for the last few years is the LGBTIQ Outside Project, yeah. Outside Project which is the first LGBTQ plus homeless shelter in London. Yes. And they also have now... Um, just opened up um, the star project I think it's Mm -hmm. called Um, and that is a LGBTQ refuge during this COVID crisis that they've done during this crisis they've opened up where some shelters have been closing down they opened one up so do check them out the LGBTIQ outside uh, the outside project if you've got any money really help them out
1: absolutely so like I said go go do that before you even decide to help us out we're fine I'm okay um, but if you want to help out the podcast you can always go to patreon.com support us for $5 or more a month and we're going to give you bonus episodes we just Ooh. released Too Fast, Too Furious because we're doing a whole Fast and Furious series myself and and <laughs> we did Fast and Furious and we're doing Too Fast, Too Furious and then later this month we're going to have another really crazy, crazy episode I promise and there's tons of stuff that we've already done so you can get access to that as well so yeah uh, what
0: are they on now? Fast and Furious 17?
1: Yeah, man. I can't wait. Because, <laughs> hey, man, like someone said, you know, you do realize they're going to do a lot of these. I'm just like, hey, you know, they keeps, should do one. They should me do at a,
0: work. They should do one with drag queens going, too fast to drag or something. <laughs> <you know? laughs> too, too fast to drag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Ralph, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a blast. Uh, really crazy. Long morning, so yeah. yeah. I'll let you get on to the rest of your day. It's
0: hot out there. <laughs> enjoy john thank you so much for having us
1: yeah thank you ralph